Well, good morning. I am glad to see you this morning at the church in Malvern. Good to see you. Glad you're here. I just have one word to say. Bison. I love. Thank you, Scott. That was good. You moved me today. That was good. After after uh, Bryce explained it to me. So, <laughs> um, there was a season in my life where I had my life scheduled out to the 15 minutes, which means uh, it was to the quarter hour. I mean, all day long, uh, I would sleep not much. <laughs> and I was working about 15 to 17 hours a day in that schedule. And life was pretty, uh, pretty busy. Um, and a little crazy busy, actually. And um, thankfully now, um, it's not that way anymore. I have recovered mostly. Um, I am not as much of a workaholic as I used to be. Um, but before, uh, when my life was so scheduled, um, I had some reasons for that. And my reasons, basically, they were pretty simple. It, it allowed me to get more done. Um, I, Being productive and being efficient, uh, it was pretty important to me. And so I, I had that as a high priority for myself. Um, and here's one thing we know about ourselves. Um, the things that are most important to us uh, they go on our schedule first. If it's important, we get it in there and we schedule that because it's what? It's a high priority for us. We want to make sure that we get it done. Um, and so those are the things usually that I feel like, oh, I have to get that done. I have to do that. And so I get them in. Now, when I was at my worst, I might squeeze in some time with a person that was not related to work. And I am sorry, I may be having a mic problem. Uh, I, I might squeeze in some time with a person that was not related to my job, um, but that was rare um, just because of how I scheduled myself and scheduled my day. But, you know, honestly, for me, um, kind of going home at night was kind of uh, just I was there to get a quick bite, uh, maybe tell some of my family hi, and then it was ready for me to to just get a few hours sleep so I could go and get busy the next day on accomplishing everything I wanted to accomplish. Surely, I'm not alone. Now, y'all may not have been that crazy, as crazy as I was related to that, but we are busy people. Um, generally speaking, we like to get things done. We like to stay busy. Um, it's kind of a life of all gas and no brakes, right? We don't put the brakes on. We just keep putting down the gas pedal. We just don't like to stop. And even if we do stop for a minute, you know, for a moment, we might stop. But as soon as we do, we usually are reaching into our pocket to pick up our phone and we are going to swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> so if we stop work, 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 then we're very soon going to be swipe, swipe, swipe. We're going to be scroll, scroll, scroll. We're going to be search, search, search. That's just kind of the way we live our lives. So why? Why do we keep doing this? Why do we stay that busy? Well, I don't know about you, but I know for me, um, and maybe for many of us, we are very, very busy so that we can, after we work, 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 then we can trip, 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 and we can travel, 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 we can play, 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 we can hunt, 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 we can fish, 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 we can hobby, hobby, hobby. We do this so that we can do, eventually, what we want to do, right? We like to do what we want to do. And here's how that impacts us. If we live that way, our life becomes really fast. And as a result of a fast life, our, our life also um, becomes pretty thin. Um, I'm going to kind of explain that. Um, a fast life usually leads to a thin life. I, I kind of think of it like this. It's kind of like a boat. Um, when you're on the lake um, and you get that boat where it's kind of planed out, um, if you're going really fast, you're just kind of skipping across the water if you're kind of going full out, kind of full speed. It's just kind of skipping across the water, hitting the high points. I mean, you're going fast. And certainly that is exciting, and obviously it is fast, but here's the point. Nothing in that scenario really runs very deep. 
the boat's kind of on top of the water. It's not down in the water. It's mostly on the surface, which can be a little superficial if you're thinking about relationships. There isn't really enough time for the boat to kind of do anything except skip across the water. That's about all it can do. Um, and if this is going to be our life, if we compare that to our lives, that's going to that's going to be the result of it. it's we're going to have a lot of it. May be fast. It may be exciting at times, but if we allow that to happen, it's going to lead to a very thin life. It leads to thin relationships where we're just kind of skipping across the surface. I can tell you what's happening, Bryce. If you'll mute Cole's mic, I can see I was, I'm picking up every once in a while on his channel. That might do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can see, I, can, I see the lights flashing. Um, so it, it can lead to a very thin life. We're just kind of skipping across the surface because in that scenario, there's not enough time uh, or at least those things that are not a high priority, um, well, we, you know, we just have a limited amount of time that's available. So the high priority things are going to get that time. Uh, now, if you were like me, I never in that season of my life allotted any time for significant relationships, any significant connections. And so I didn't really take any of those deep. And ultimately, I don't know if this strikes a nerve with you or not, but it certainly did for me because this type of living leads to what Cole and I are kind of describing as a thin soul. A thin soul where we're kind of just left thinking, is this all there is to life? I mean, is this all there is? Uh, what's the point? Because something seems to be missing in this scenario. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I do know this, that going deep in relationships, it's draining. Now, it may not be to every personality type, but it can be certainly draining. I mean, it takes energy to f and, and focus and intention to take a relationship deep. Now, here's why we're talking about this. Um, we know this to be true for ourselves. In fact, as I'm kind of describing this, um, some of you are saying, yep, that's me. I, I have kind of some trouble with that. That's been a challenge for me. Others of you may be saying, that's not me, because I don't have really a trouble with relationships. But in your life, you probably know somebody who does. But everything we're talking about related to that, the reason why we're mentioning it, because this whole relationship thing doesn't just apply to people. It, it applies to our relationship with God. The reality is, our relationship with God is an actual relationship, and that's the truth. So let's talk about this whole idea of thin souls very quickly. Um, it's not a concept we hear every day. So every relationship in our life, including our relationship with God, we desire usually to see that grow, to see it progress, to at the very least, to see it be healthy. And our relationship with Jesus, that's what we've been talking about since January, our relationship with Jesus actually takes time and it takes intention and it has to come to the point in our lives where we make that a very specific priority because a relationship with Jesus is actually a real relationship. And speed... Moving quickly in life is actually the enemy of relationships, even our relationship with Jesus. I think a good thought is we have often lived our lives as if we were speed dating Jesus. <laughs> just kind of running by, just buzzing right past him and just saying, hey, Jesus, just checking in with you real quick. You know, it's one of those, okay, good to see you, gotta go, I'll catch you later type relationships with Jesus. But we talked uh, a week or two ago about if we really want to be drawn into an orbit where our life orbits around Jesus, then he has to be at the center. It's not going to happen if we keep speed dating Jesus. It's going to have to be with him 
at the center. And so this morning, I just simply want to say, if, if that's a relationship that you're not really interested in, if you're more interested in a relationship where you just kind of touch base with Jesus every once in a while and it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really result in a significant process of your life being changed, then I just want to be honest. If that's the case, I think it should make us rethink everything that we think we know about what following Jesus is all about. And so with that being said, this morning, I want to introduce to you a mind-blowing, something incredibly creative, um, something very, uh, maybe even unbelievably innovative to help us connect with Jesus. So, enter the pause. Okay, great. I, I know that's not innovative, nor is that creative, and it probably was a bit of a letdown for you, but I, I just want you to think about this whole concept of hitting the pause button in our lives, a, a, a moment where we can have some uncluttered space in time, time in our lives that we need to emotionally, spiritually, physically breathe and rest time where we can just simply begin to slow down. Slowing down. And, and I know that is not a novel idea. It has been around for a long, long, long time. In fact, it is so important that apparently God actually did it himself. I mean, he created everything, right? We, we have heard those stories. We've talked about that. He created, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, or if you grew up going to church some, or even a lot, I, I'm not going to pretend that you've never heard of this concept, the Sabbath, the concept of a Sabbath. But here's what we need to remember. We need to remember that it was God who started the Sabbath. It is his. He began it. In fact, God didn't just start it, but he modeled it for us. He rested on that seventh day. And he didn't end there because we have it modeled for us later in Scripture as well. But soon after God modeled that, God was going to require a Sabbath of the Israelites. Now, in the Old Covenant, the purpose for the Sabbath was to rest with and to focus on him, on God. There's more. Jesus knew all about the Sabbath. He knew about the concept. He knew what it was for because Jesus invented it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But he understood the purpose of a day that we would set aside to uh, kind of wait on, wait with, and rest in God, focus on him. Um, we get to read about Jesus practicing the Sabbath in the New Covenant um, but we also, we don't just see Jesus practicing a day of rest. This is so interesting to me. We find Jesus modeling something that is almost like a micro, a miniature Sabbath, where he kind of slows down, and in a moment, he takes time to rest in his relationship with God the Father. So he didn't just do it for a day during the Sabbath, we find Jesus taking moments where he rested in the Father during the day, during uh, other days as well. And in Luke, later in Mark, they give us some examples of Jesus taking those micro-Sabbaths. Here's one. I just want to read it very quickly. Here's one of those examples. Uh, let's see. Luke records one in chapter 5. It says, but despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Now, the point is, for Jesus, at this point in his life, um, in his ministry, he was kind of getting like a rock star status. The, the news was traveling very quickly that Jesus was coming to town. And so people would gather. It'd be like as if they're trying to go get their tickets in advance so they could see him. Word would spread, and they would be there. The buzz was out. 
and it must have been exhausting for Jesus, that many people making demands on his life. And so uh, verse 16, Luke goes on, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And we might look at that and say, well, that's very spiritual of Jesus. And of course it is because he's, well, he's Jesus. But according to Mark, sometimes Jesus just simply slowed down, not necessarily to even pray, but he would slow down to rest. Mark In Mark 6, it talks about this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all about what they had done and taught. So they, all, they had all been sent out, and they come back. They're gathering together again, uh, a long trip off the road. They finally get back together, and here's what Jesus said. He said, um, he said let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. He was understanding what was needed, this micro-Sabbath. He said because uh, there were so many, he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so we think, oh my goodness, Jesus really, yes, he is God. And he really was, is human. And he's saying, we've got to rest, guys. We've got to recharge. Let's go get something to eat. It sounds like Jesus is saying, we kind of need to prioritize some of this in our lives. Make it important or it might not happen. I think Jesus is saying, I've got some good news for you. We can rest. We can rest. And he practiced what he preached. But as it so often happens, when this concept that God gives us gets into the hands of humans, we have a tendency to turn it into something that it was never intended to be. Because something happened where no longer was this idea of a Sabbath, no longer was it good news that there was rest coming. No longer was it good news that you had a moment to intently focus on your relationship with God. It was no longer good news. Quickly, the Sabbath became this giant list of thousands of don'ts. And I I mean... Literally, thousands of don'ts. No longer was it a time that was going to benefit them. Something had drastically changed. The list of what they could not do grew and grew and grew. Does it sound familiar? Because we have that same tendency today. We we still kind of think of this idea of a Sabbath, taking time to focus on God and to to focus and and relate to him and rest with him and in him. Today, we kind of still think of that as bad news. Taking a day to rest and to focus on our creator and making that a priority, that kind of comes across to us today as well. That's kind of bad news because it's not the most popular concept. In fact, If you do hold that high, you might even get laughed at by some friends or by some people. And in the first century, when Jesus was, we're getting ready to look at an account, and in that first century with him, um, it was difficult then because there were so many don'ts, so many things that they said, you cannot do this. And so the Sabbath became this crushing burden. It was difficult. They didn't necessarily look forward to it because they were so focused on what not to do. And for us today, it can still be a burden. I mean, today, though, it's a different reason why it's a burden. Because today, there are so many wonderful things that are available to us. I mean, most of us certainly in America. Most of us live a pretty good life with plenty of leisure. But slowing down for things like rest and a relationship with Jesus, well, the truth is it just kind of gets in the way of what we want to do. Let me give that a minute to kind of see. Now, please don't throw anything at me or... (laughs) Please don't chase me down with your car after we're done today. I'll I'll be the last one to leave. 
Um, it seems to me so often our hearts get set more on filling our weekend with what we want to do. And we're leaving no time to rest with God or focus on God. Because really that kind of gets in the way of what we want to do. And so no longer is a time of the Sabbath a blessing that's making us better because so often it becomes an irritation. That Sabbath command becomes a burden that just kind of infringes on what I want to do with this limited amount of time that I have. And there are so many things that don't make the cut that it gets pushed away. Now let's go back to the first century for a moment. The Sabbath was a burden in the first century because they had this crippling list of don'ts. And the rabbis over the centuries have had added to that list many, many things. And it was mostly an oral tradition. In other words, rabbis would add this and they would talk about these things. You know, they would say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you understand this. And it would be passed on and passed on. And then they would add to it. The people before them, the people after them would all add all of these things to it. So it would grow. And the list was enormous. I already told you it was thousands. And Jesus, as he so often did, Jesus begins to turn against this religious culture that was carrying all of these heavy restrictions, and especially these related to the Sabbath. And so Jesus begins to turn that and correct that, and, and, um, and he can do that because Jesus created it. So let, let's listen to how Mark describes this encounter that Jesus has. It's in Mark chapter 2. I want to read this to you. Mark chapter 2. Um, let's see. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. So they're just brushing their hand through, they're walking through, and they're grabbing a little handful, and they're going to eat that grain. Um, now, here's the problem. Uh, that happens to be an enormous no-no for the Jewish popo. <laughs> if, they're gonna see, if they see what's happening, we're going to have a problem. Verse 24, but the Pharisees, okay, here they, they have now arrived. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? All right. Now, very quickly, um, I want to give you an idea of just to, to help you understand how ridiculous some of these laws were and how what a burden they were. So there were thousands. I'm only going to give you a, a handful right here. Here's a handful. This is what we had done, the humans had done to God's law, and they distorted this whole idea of the Sabbath. So here's some examples. Um, they could not carry anything on the Sabbath. Okay? That's, they couldn't. So that's going to make things difficult. Uh, they couldn't even take a chair and drag it across the ground. Let me explain why. Because if they do that, if they would drag a chair or drag a table, one of those legs on the chair or table might leave a line in the dirt. And if it left a line in the dirt, it meant they broke the soil, which means they just plowed. So they couldn't drag a chair or a table across the ground. All right? Uh, they could not tie a knot. Good thing they didn't have Nikes. They couldn't tie a knot. They could not untie a knot. They couldn't even allow a piece of string to be looped beside another loop on a string because that's all the beginning, tying knots, untying knots, having string that's looped or rope that's looped. That's all the beginning of sewing. They couldn't do that. Um, they, uh, they could not write anything. They couldn't erase anything. And there were thousands of these rules and laws, thousands upon thousands. 
all of those things that had been attached to the Sabbath, and all of those had been added by rabbis. And here we have Mark, and he's telling us this story of Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees, and they have taken the law of the Sabbath, and they're saying that these, that these uh, disciples of Jesus had just been involved in harvesting a crop. All right. Because they, have, they picked up a handful of grain, and what they did before they ate it, they would rub that grain in their hands, and the covering on the grain, the husk, would come off. It would either fall down or they would blow it away. And that was harvesting. The Pharisees show up and shots have been fired and they say, Jesus, your guys can't do that. And now Jesus, he fires back. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, now I want to pause here for a moment because um, you may not realize what just happened when Jesus said that. These professional religious people, it was their job to, to make sure people kept all the extra laws. These professional religious people knew the scriptures really well, and they knew that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And Jesus, in this moment, is comparing himself to David. And these professional religious men, they know what that means. They know what's happening. So no big deal to us. Oh, he's telling the story about David. These guys understood that Jesus is comparing himself to David. So this was a huge deal. He says, don't you know what happened? Because they know that this is, this is the line of the Messiah. Here's what's coming. So back to the account. Verse 26. So Jesus is describing and comparing it to himself. He went into the house of God. And so he goes into this house. And he, here we have it on the screen. So he goes to this priest, all right? He goes to this priest, and Jesus describes the scenario and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Now, here's what Jesus seems to be saying. He seems to be saying, uh, God allowed David to do that, to kind of step on the outside of that law in such a way. In other words, he kind of allowed David to interpret the law in that moment. Because only the priest had been allowed to do that. Only, uh, I mean, that was God's law. And he said, David was allowed to do that. In other words, he's saying, and I am allowed to do that. I am allowed to do that. So Jesus fires back, verse 27. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That is huge. Verse 28. So the Son of Man, let me pause here. So just in case the Pharisees were a little bit slow, which they weren't. They knew what he was talking about when he compared himself to David. He now calls himself the son of man. Now, again, to us, that makes really, it's no big deal to us because yes, we know God became a man, right? We're used to that language. When, the, when these professional religious men heard this, they knew exactly what he was saying because they knew and they could quote it that the prophet Daniel said that the Messiah, when he comes, he will be the son of man. And Jesus, in that moment, says, yeah, yes, yes, the son of man. By the way, gentlemen, he's saying, that's me. 
the Messiah. Oh, that was huge. I can just imagine that when they hear that coming out of his mouth, that's almost like blasphemy. I mean, I mean, their eyes would be big and their, their jaws would drop open and they would look at each other like, what? What are you talking? I, I can't believe I've heard that. I can't believe that's coming into my ears. The son of man, Jesus saying, yeah, 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 yeah. that's me. And here's what he says about the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. So not only, gentlemen, am I the son of man, but he says, all these things that are God's laws, yeah, yeah, uh, ten com- those 613 commands that God gave Moses, yeah, yeah, um, I am Lord over God's law. In other words, I am God. This was huge. I mean, when you hear people talking and they say, well, Jesus never really claimed he was the Messiah. Oh, oh, but he did. I mean, we may not understand that in our culture, but they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Not only is he saying, I am the Messiah, he is saying all of God's laws, yeah, yeah, they're mine. Those are my laws. I wrote those laws. I'm over those laws. They're mine. And by the way, y'all have it wrong. Your understanding of my law, you've got it wrong. And I have the authority to correct you. Sabbath is for man, not a burden to man. He's saying the Sabbath is to help. It is not a list of shoulds, not a list of should nots. It's not a list of rules to keep. It's not boxes to check. It's none of those things. And in this account, Jesus offers them, and I believe he offers us as well. He offers us a course correction. A course correction. He offers us rest with him. Because apparently, slowing down and resting in God is a big deal to Jesus. I want to describe to you something. I I, I talked with the high school FCA about this a few weeks ago. Um, And I told you in January or February, I can't, the months run together, but I told you, we mentioned this verse, this passage, and I said, hey, hang tight because we're gonna come back to it soon. Well, this is that day. I wanna very quickly give you a breakdown of how Matthew describes what Jesus said about this rest and why it's so important to him, all right? So, my high school athletes, y'all can take a nap right now if you want, (laughs) but please don't, please don't. Um, Here is what Matthew describes Jesus saying. In verse 28 of, of chapter 11, he says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary. Now, that sounds like tired people, right? Most of us today, because we just lost an hour of sleep. I understand. I did too. Um, But here's why they were weary. They were weary because Jesus knew, and here's what he is referencing, the burden that these rabbis had placed on the people. because. The Jewish people had been working really hard to earn their place with God. And to earn their place with God, they had to do everything that the rabbis said. So they had the 613 laws of Moses that God gave to Moses. Plus, they had the thousands and thousands and thousands of rules about how to follow those laws. They had to do them both. And Jesus is saying, I recognize you are weary You are tired. And here's what the Greek word that we have translated weary 
the Greek word means this, that they were exhausted from work and there was no end in sight. In other words, we're working hard, but they don't get to go home. They don't get to go home after a good hard, hard day's work and, and sleep for eight hours and then get up and go work again the next day. No, there was no end in sight. They could not stop working to earn their place with God. They could not stop. They were weary. And Jesus is saying, I recognize that some of you out here, he's saying, are, are so exhausted. You see no end in sight because you're trying to earn your place with God. He says, come to me, all of you who feel that way. And then he says, and carry heavy burdens. In other words, the, the word they're used for that, the heavy burdens, the picture is they are already carrying a heavy load, all right? It's already heavy because of all the burdens that have been placed on them by the rabbis. And the picture is that a rabbi comes along and says, oh, I see, you are carrying a heavy load. Here's some more. And it's that picture of piling even more upon them. And Jesus is recognizing what's happening in their lives. Literally, a heavier load added to the already heavy load that you're carrying. So to restate, here's what Jesus is saying. Those of you who are exhausted from working, trying to earn your place with me, and there's no end in sight, and the rabbis keep dumping more and more and more burdens upon you. Stop, he says. Give, give me a try. And here's what he says. And I will give you rest. Now, I want you to notice this first rest is something that Jesus gives freely. All you have to do is show up to Jesus, and he's going to give you this first rest. This first rest, though, the, 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 the feeling, the the implications of this first rest are not so lasting because life can still be crushing and can still be difficult and still be hard. We, let's move on. Jesus then says, take my yoke upon you. Now, when they... when Jesus said this to them, more than likely, they didn't even consider a yoke where they would be like linked up like oxen, okay? That probably didn't even come to their mind. That wouldn't, wouldn't have made much sense. They'd be like, you're ridiculous. I'm not going to pull with the oxen. What could have come to mind would be a single yoke that went across their neck for a person, and on each side might be a, a bucket, so like they were going to carry water, Okay. So they would go to the well, and it just made carrying that heavy load easier to use that yoke. And they could have understood Jesus to say, yes, I, I have something for you. I have a yoke for you that I want you to carry. Take my yoke upon you. But that's probably not the picture that came to their mind. That's the picture that comes to our mind. Our mind goes to a double oxen yoke, or it goes maybe to a single yoke for a person. But that's probably not what came to their mind. Let me tell you why. Because more than likely, Jesus was talking about something that was not even physical that you would put on your neck. Jesus was a rabbi. And the people around him who followed him closely were his disciples. And in the first century, a rabbi had um, an understanding of Scripture and a very specific outlook on life and on Scripture. And he would take that Scripture and he would teach it to people from that perspective. Here's what it means. Let me explain it to you. This is what it's like. This is what God is. This is and he would teach it. And then he would live that out in his own life. So what he taught, he would then live. And so he had a very specific worldview that he taught of Scripture and that he, he would teach people how to live. 
And that worldview that he taught and that he lived, it was called the rabbi's yoke. And Jesus said, you've been carrying the wrong yoke. You've been listening to all these things where people have given you this heavy burden and they have added and they have added and they have added. He was like, no, 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 no. I know you're weary. I know you're exhausted. Come to me. Take my yoke. In other words, take my way of life. Live the way I live. What I'm going to teach you I'm going to teach you what it means, what scriptures mean. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. Take on my worldview, the way I see scripture, the way I relate to scripture, the way I see scripture and God in this world, and the way I relate to people, the way I love people, the way I pursue people. You take on my way of life, my yoke. That's what Jesus is saying. Then he said, let me teach you. He's not going to teach you how to carry a bucket of water. He's going to teach you everything you need to know about pursuing, chasing after, loving, serving, submitting your life to God. Let me teach you. Why does he want to teach them? Because he's a rabbi, that's what rabbis do. He said, let me teach you. I'm not going to teach you how to carry a yoke of water. I'm going to teach you how my view on life and everything, the way I see it, the way I experience it, the way I live it. Now, this is so interesting. For a rabbi in the first century, if they were going to go get a disciple, um, someone would come to them. Let's say Colton if, I, if, if there were a rabbi up here, Colton maybe was like, I want to be a rabbi. I, I want to be a disciple of yours, rabbi. And the rabbi would take Colton and he would grill him. He would ask him, he would just test him with questions and just, and his goal in all the testing was to determine, can you, can you take my yoke upon you? Can you teach the scripture, the way I teach the scripture? Can you uh, have the worldview that I have and, and, and take that, what scripture says, and live it in this world the way I live it? And he's trying to figure out, can Colton do that? And if Colton could do that, if he determined, I think Colton can do that, he would say, okay, Colton, come follow me. And then he might come to me. And I might say, hey, Rabbi, I, I want to be your disciple. And he would do the same thing. He would test me and grill me and put me through it. But if he determined at the end of that time of testing, if he determined at the end of that time of questioning, Harley, I don't think you can take my yoke and take it into the world after I'm gone. I don't think you can. He would say, Harley, no, no. It's time for you to go home and join the family business. And so for me, I mean, my roots, I'm an Oklahoma kid. My roots, my, my, both my parents came from dairy farms. So he would have said, no, Harley, it's time for you to go to the milk barn. <laughs> it's time for you to join the family business. And he would send me away. But in this moment, Jesus was not sending anyone away. Jesus was not looking at them and saying, you are not good enough. You cannot take my yoke, my worldview, the way I see scripture, the way I relate to God and live in this world. You can't do it. He didn't say that. He looked at them and he said, if you are weary... From all of these burdens, I want you to come and follow me. I'm inviting you to be my disciple, my student. Oh, wow. So he says, 
take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Wow. He's saying, I am not rejecting you. I am not sending you back home to the family business. No, 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 no. I'm saying to you now, if you are tired of all of this that you have been experiencing, he said, stop, come follow me. Even if the rabbi in your community, your village turned you down and sent you to the fishing boats or sent you to the fields, He's saying, I'm saying to you, I won't turn you down. And here he gives an explanation because I am humble and gentle at heart. In other words, he's saying, I am not like the professional religious people, the Pharisees, the Popo. No, no, no. I am not like them. That you see, they were arrogant. They took the scripture and became arrogant in their knowledge, arrogant in the way they lived their lives. And he said, no, 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 I'm not about that. He said, take on my way of life. And then he said, and you will find, this time find, not get, you will find rest for your souls. This second rest that Jesus offers, this rest from having to work hard to earn your place with God, this rest from getting out from under the burdens that everyone has placed upon you religiously, this rest only comes to the people who take his yoke and follow him. Now listen, Jesus didn't say, hey, y'all come to me. Just speed by. I'm going to toss something into the window of your car. You don't even have to slow down much. There's nothing to do here. Come to me, all of you who are weary. And I'm going to let you just live your life the way you want to do it. Just speed on by. It'll be fine. Just come near me. He didn't say that. No, he said, yes, there is a yoke that you will take upon yourself, but I will teach you, and I am humble and gentle. But yeah, there is something. But he's saying, come to me. That's what he said first. And when you take his yoke, he's saying, and stay with me. Come to me and stay with me. That's what a disciple did. When he said, come follow me, that disciple left their life behind, and they followed the rabbi. They gave up their old life, and they followed the rabbi. They stayed with him. He's saying, come to me and stay with me. Then he says, why? For my yoke is easy to bear. Now, just one more note here. This word easy, it's not a great translation of the word. It makes it sound like, hey, there's nothing to do here. That's not what he's saying. The word literally translates to this phrase. It literally translates to, this is doable, manageable. It can be done. What you have been doing, trying to earn your place with God, that cannot be done. That work is never over. It is never ending. But this yoke is doable. It is manageable. It can be done. Why? Because I'm going to teach you, he said. Once again, the yoke of the first century was filled with heavy, ridiculous burdens. Few students could really please and satisfy a rabbi. 
And the ones who could, they became arrogant and prideful. But Jesus is different. He said, the burden I give you is light. The rest that Jesus offers you and me, it's not only the concept of a Sabbath day, a day that we set aside to focus on and rest with and in him, but I believe it's what he also practiced. Yeah, he practiced a Sabbath day, but he also practiced going to the Father in moments where he would slow down on any day and have this micro-Sabbath, this moment where he rested in the Father, where he, um, where he would uh, hang out with God the Father and rest. We don't make a Sabbath or a micro-Sabbath throughout the week if we don't make it a priority, it will, that whole concept will just be pushed to the side because we are more interested in making time for the more important things, right? Yeah. Last week we said we've got to hightail it to Jesus. That's step one. And this week, once we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, we saying once we hightail it to Jesus as quickly as we can, in that moment, then we must, today we're saying, we must slow down. And we must stay in that moment with Jesus. We must stay Jesus curious. And that happens to require time. And that's not thin. Time with Jesus does not lead to a thin life. Time with Jesus, this whole concept of a Sabbath or a micro-Sabbath as well, that whole concept is not thin. It is actually deep. And I know it's deep. Here's one reason I know it's deep. I know it's deep because although that concept is simple, it must be extremely complicated because we really have a hard time slowing down to meet with and rest in Jesus. If it wasn't, we'd be really good at it. But we're usually not. And what we're teaching today, please understand me, we are not teaching a should, a list of things we've got to check off to make sure we have had a Sabbath. We are not giving you a should. We're talking about something that God built into our lives, a need to rest in him. Listen. Just between us, and, and I want you to know that what I'm saying here, this all applies to me. Every bit of it. If you in your life, if you don't feel any draw, connection toward having or developing a life that is orbiting around Jesus, if you can make anything, and sometimes for us, everything, but if you can make anything a priority over getting to know Jesus more and more and more, then I want you to know in life, something is missing. Something's missing. And, and, and this week, I really want you to lean in on that thought that if that's the case, something is missing. And, and my goal really in this is to ask you as a next step to try to figure out if that's the case, if I am not drawn to a, a life where I want to orbit around him, what is missing in my life? And we're not talking about a should. 
or a checklist or a must. We're talking about a want to. A growing desire inside of you to know him better. A curiosity saying that a thin connection to Jesus just won't satisfy me. And throughout this series in March, we're saying we're going to give you some ideas, not a list of shoulds or have tos, just some ideas that that can help you develop a life that will orbit around him. And last week we said, Idea number one, week one, we said, hightail it to Jesus. Make your way straight to Jesus. And this week we're saying, when you get to the feet of Jesus, slow your life down in that moment or for that day. Slow your life down. The purpose is not to check off a list so that we can say, I did that so I can be closer to God. No, the the purpose is to just get closer to God. Give yourself time to get closer to Jesus. Utilize this thing that God created for us called a Sabbath, or what Jesus also modeled, this micro-Sabbath, going to God the Father throughout the day. And in order to do that, the truth is, we might have to turn off some distractions. We might have to get rid of some for a moment. Just turn them off. Just silence them. Maybe that's something that could help. Just silence a distraction. Here's another idea. Avoid the urge to fill the gap. In other words, anytime we do have a moment that we're not busy, we have the urge to fill the gap. And we either fill it with social media, we fill it with uh, TV, we fill it with games, video games, we fill it with all kinds of things. Don't, Don't fill the gap. If you have a gap, lean into that gap with Jesus and your relationship to him. Here's another idea. Any question about who Jesus is or who you are or who I am, if for me it's my question, I am, Any question about who Jesus is or who I am, that is a perfect Sabbath moment between you and Jesus. All those questions are rooted in what we talked about a few weeks ago. The greatest question in the world is, who do you say Jesus is? And then the second greatest is this, who does Jesus say you are? Those are perfect Sabbath moments. This week, I'm going to post some things on probably Facebook. I'll probably get it on Instagram too. Just a few other ideas. None of these are a checklist. They are just simply ideas. Some of them might be beneficial to you as you learn to develop a life that orbits around Jesus, leaning into the Sabbath, leaning into micro-Sabbath. And why are we interested in doing this? I want to remind you of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. As we get to know him more, we love him more. As we love him more, we follow him more. As we follow him more, we become more like him. And the more we are like him, guess what? The more we are who he created us to be, we become like ourselves designed by God. That's the goal. High tell it to Jesus. Slow down at his feet. And while we're there, pay ridiculous attention to Jesus. And next week, we want to teach you how to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus. And I hope you'll be here as we talk about it. Let's pray. Jesus, if we have made anything in our lives, if we have made that more important than you, Jesus, I ask that you would help us to think about that, to analyze that, to try to figure out why we do that. Help us to rest in you. Help us to hightail it to you and then slow our lives down 
God, we will find, if we take upon your way of life into our life, we will find rest for our souls. May you help us make it so, Jesus. Amen.